Amen. Let's applaud our Lord's faithfulness this morning. Good to see all of you. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12 as we continue this series called Surrender. Surrender. And we're going to start in verse 1. It's going to kind of serve as a base text here for us today. And it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Let us pray. Father, we're thankful that you desire to have a relationship with us, that you love us. And every single person here that is either watching or they are here in attendance, they are breathing God, you have given them breath, meaning that you have a purpose for them. You have a reason that they are alive, and maybe they're believing that in their mind that, they, that you really have nothing, that really maybe their life really doesn't matter. But I pray that this morning, as we dive into your word, that we'll see that all who surrender to you, that all who say, God, here I am, use me. God, here I am, use me for your glory. Use me in a way that you want me to be used. How can I be obedient? And so, God, I pray that as we dive into your word, I pray your Holy Spirit will move. And I pray that we'll be willing to be obedient. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there was a show years ago and uh, in the 90s that was very, very popular called Seinfeld. Yes. Yes, and uh, even if you weren't alive in the 90s, you've seen the reruns and you've watched maybe a little bit of the show. It's a funny show, Um, but what's so interesting about the show, as many of you know, is it has no plot. There is no usually to be continued. There's usually no connection from, you know, one show to the next episode. It, It just, it has no plot. It's kind of a aimless show with... Um, really a lot of aimless characters. I mean, George is always looking for a job, it seems, and the job he gets is a dream job because he lies his, his way through, I think, working for the Yankees, and one guy, Kramer, doesn't work at all. He just eats his neighbor's food, and, and what a life, right? And then complains when he runs out of food that he likes, and um, it doesn't sound like the kind of neighbor that I would, uh, I would want. But it was a popular show, and maybe it was so popular, and yeah, it was funny, but maybe it also was popular because it kind of fits kind of um, our culture today in that we can be a little bit aimless. Now, maybe that doesn't fit you, but there are a lot of people who just live day to day with no goals, with no plot, with no uh, really idea of what they're going to do in life. They're just kind of living, and just they're not really sure where it's going. They're just kind of like a boat with no rudder. I mean, with, with a rudder or with a, with, with a motor, they don't know where they're going. They're just kind of just drifting. And maybe that's you, and you're like, I don't like that. I don't want to be like that. But that's where I'm at right now in life. So here's four questions. Four questions we're going to dive into. That, um, and the first one's this. Is what does God really want from you? You ever wondered that? You ever said, God, what do you want? God, I'm here. What do you really want from me? And 
when we first start reading the New Testament, we soon learn that God's opinion about how to do life is different from ours. We don't mind saying that Jesus um, is Lord. We don't mind saying that, man, I, 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 I love Jesus, I, I love God, I should go to church. But when it comes to really Jesus being our Savior, or really being our uh, one who is directing our life, showing us how we should live life, we're not always too sure uh, about doing that. In fact, you could say there are a lot of people who they want the blessings of God, but they don't really want to surrender to God. They want to be in Christian when it comes to uh, in name or Christian uh, when when they're asked. They'll, yes, I'm a Christian. Uh, they'll, they'll admit, but they don't. They don't want anyone, anyone, including God, telling them what they should do and how they should live their life. And what happens? What happens is. They'll claim to be a Christian, but they will treat Christianity and God's word like a spiritual buffet. And I know I've said this before, but I don't know if you know this, but Florence is the buffet capital of the world. We should have a sign on the entrance and exit of Florence. Welcome to the buffet capital. We love our buffets. But spiritually speaking... All people love their spiritual buffets. They love to go through and they like to select this. Ooh, I don't really like that. That makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't like that. Or I think I'm allergic to that. Or I don't like the looks of that. I don't like the feel of that. And people do it all the time. But God does not work that way. And there may be some things you read in the Bible and go, I don't know if I really like that. But we're not the authority of when it comes to truth. We're not the authority of God's word. God's word is the authority for the believer teaching us and showing us how we should live our life. And so when we ask this question, what is it that God really wants from me? What does he want from me the most? And how do I give it to him? And if we are missing the power and have a absent of joy in our life as a believer and maybe we're wondering why am i not really connecting notice what it says once again in verse one he says i plead with you the apostle paul is pleading with believers with christians of going this is what you need to do give your bodies to god because all that he's done for you to be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Now, we just sang three or four worship songs and listened to the choir, and that is definitely a part of worship, no question. But that's not the only worship. That's not the only worship we should be doing this morning. We should be going, God, here I am. Here's all of me. Maybe you're like me, and you can't carry a tune in a bucket. And I, I love to sing. I've accidentally left my mic on before on Facebook and sang through like two or three songs. And someone who was watching that wasn't here said, man, and this was before um, John was here, it was Paul was our worship leader. And they said, man, Paul sounded awful. Was he sick or something? (laughs) 
Yes, he actually was that day. <laughs> Not in life, I don't think. I can't remember now, but it's been a while ago. <laughs> but what is the Apostle Paul saying? He is saying the reasonable thing, the reasonable, the minimum of the attitude of your life should be you surrendering to the Lord, saying, God, here's everything. Here, here's, here's everything. God, I'm surrendering it all to you. Now, why do people not do that? I, I, I think it's because we have, unintentionally, and I know I, I've done this before, is that, is that we end up believing a lie about God. Or we end up having this warped view of God that if you completely surrender to the Lord, that the Lord will make your life miserable. That, especially if you're young right now, you're thinking maybe in your mind like, well, man, if I surrender everything to God, that, that means he might, he might make me marry someone who's ugly. But as long as he's rich, it'd be all right. No, I'm just kidding. No, dude. <laughs> But it might make me marry someone I don't want to marry. They think that in their mind. They may make me, well, God may make me work a job or go into a career I don't really want to go into. Like, God's going to make me miserable. And we have this warped view of God. That simply is just something from the enemy to make you think God really does not have your best in mind. You might think he might send me to some strange land or make me quit some sport I love to play or do this or do that or, or whatever. And we believe some lie that God really doesn't have our best in mind. You know, when the serpent, the devil, tempted Eve in the garden, when everything was going good, and he lied, right? He lied to Eve. But ultimately the lie was Eve... You and Adam, you're missing out. You're missing out by obeying God. You're missing out by surrendering it all to him. And he continues to say that lie over and over, and he whispers that into the minds of believers and people who are unbelievers today, that why would you want to mess with that? Why would you want to follow the Bible? You might be looked at, uh, at a little bit different when you surrender all. God may just make your life miserable. So why? Why is it so hard to surrender to God? There's a story I want to tell you. It's a, um, um, not a true story, but it, 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 it goes well with this. And uh, there's a man by the name of John. He's a 32-year-old engineer who loved to go to estate sales and the auction sales. And he loved to um, look and buy antique furniture. He had really had a, uh, a taste for that. And um, one particular weekend, John found himself at an estate sale in the southern part of the United States. All the items in the house were going to be sold in a single unit price. And so as he's walking four to four and he's seeing the old furniture, it looks to be from around the Civil War era. And he's looking around and he um, has, you know, become, I won't say an expert, but he's very, very familiar with the Civil uh, War era items and furniture. He has a good idea of what something is worth. 
And so as he's going around, knowing it's going to be sold in a single unit price, he figures it's going to come out to around $95,000 to buy everything. And so some of it was old and despair. The house itself was old, and the architecture and the antique scattered from room to room indicated that it was definitely um, that age. And history, and John, being a history buff for a number of years, recognized the collection of rifles from that time period and other items. And as John continued to his investigation, he proceeded downstairs into a damp basement using a small, uh, small pocket flashlight, and there he sees a an old rolled-up desk. And so he gets looking at the old roll-up desk, and there is a false drawer. If you know anything about false drawers, people have false drawers because they want to hide something valuable. And he knows his false drawer, and he opens it up, and there is a bag. And he gets excited. He looks in the bag. He looks in the bag, and he finds 22 very rare pure gold coins minted by the Confederacy during the Civil War. And to his knowledge, they are likely worth millions of dollars. Now, John has a decision to make. What does he do? He has $10,000 in savings. He can sell his car. He can sell his house. He can sell everything he owns, and he believes he can come up with a $95,000 winning bid for all the contents that are there. What should he do? To answer this question, one must weigh both the risk and the rewards of any decision that is going to be be made like this. So what are the risks? What are the potential rewards? What would you do and why? The key issue in this case study involved a number of important factors that are critical to, to identify and apply in order to make a wise decision. First one's this. It's the most important factor centers on the truth and the authenticity. And so, in fact, if these coins are authentic, it would be the height of foolishness for this 32-year-old engineer to go, yeah, I'm not interested in that. So second factor involves around the issue of knowledge. John possesses a knowledge not shared by most people. He is an admitted geek and has a real bent for history and, and uh, as a result, able to identify on, on not just only the rifles that are there and the antiques but um, that are from the Civil War period. He's able to notice where these coins were from. The third factor is the issue of faith and courage. It's one thing to intellectually be convinced that these coins are real, But to sell your home, to sell your vehicle, to sell your other possessions so you could get enough money to buy all those contents that you know, you know because of those gold coins, are worth millions. Hmm. What should he do? There's another case study, and it's found in the Bible. And it's about an ancient treasure, and Jesus actually tells a story. Turn over to Matthew, if you would, Matthew chapter 13, Matthew 13 and verse 44, and Jesus gives a similar story here, similar story in verse 44 of chapter 13 in the book of Matthew. And this is what he reads. He says, the kingdom of heaven 
is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again. And so with everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Now, today, if you own a field, you might find some buried treasure, but it was kind of, I guess, a a common thing to to hide, to bury a treasure during that time. It wasn't like they had a 401k or they could invest in this or that. Um, They would take their treasure and they would hide it. And sometimes it would be lost because sometimes the uh, husband of the household or would not tell his wife or would not tell other people where it was hidden at. And, and so he would die and, man, there, was a, there would be a treasure out there in the field. So again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the outlook for choice pearls. And when he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. And so we see, we see this man find, find, um, find a treasure that is worth more than the field. He's buying the field, and it's like he's getting the treasure for free. What would you do? So, what, preacher, this is a no-brainer. I would end up selling everything, and I would risk it all for that treasure, knowing I'm going to come out way ahead. If I was John, I would do the same thing. I saw those coins. I saw those coins. I would buy all the contents, I would sell my house, I would sell my firstborn child, I would sell this, I would sell that, like, don't sell your kid. I would sell everything I need to sell. I may even go borrow money from the bank. I may even go borrow money from, uh, you know, a relative. I would get the job done, especially if I knew they were authentic. I would do all of that. And see, the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is more valuable than anything else we can have. And a person must be willing to give up everything to obtain it. And so, your life, and comparing all this to your life, are you willing to surrender it all to the Lord? And notice in this case study with John, notice in what Jesus is giving in this illustration, it wasn't that they lost all. They surrendered all. And they gain so much more. We know, biblically speaking, in the spiritual realm, and one day we'll stand before God and we will be rewarded for how we live this life for the Lord. How we were obedient to the Lord. How we loved other people who are around us. How we spread the gospel. How we ministered and we served in church and loved other people, we will be rewarded accordingly. Listen, you're going you're gonna to gain far out more than what you could ever give up. And if the kingdom of heaven is truly important to you, if the things of God are truly important to you, you will be dedicated to it. You will, you will focus on following him and doing what is right because you know you're going to be rewarded. You know you're going to gain. And you're not going to be worried about if someone makes fun of you for raising your kids in church. You're not going to be worried if someone looks down upon you. I was reading this week. In fact, it was on the front of, of uh, Yahoo.com. So many of you know who Tony Dungy is. He used to be um, the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was also the Super Bowl winning coach of the Indianapolis Colts. And he's also, I believe, on Sunday Night Football, which is, I think, NBC, if I remember correctly. But he is a, a commentator on there, and he gives his opinion. And I don't know if you know this about Tony Dungy. He is a dedicated Christian. 
I mean, he sings in the choir. He teaches Sunday school. I mean, this, 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 this is not recent. This has been for years. He raises his family in church. He is about raising up men and women for Jesus. I mean, he is sold out and dedicated. And on the front page, man, the front page of that says, why is Tony Dungy on Sunday night football? He is anti-LGBT. Now, if you know anything about Tony Dungy, he takes the same stance that Jesus takes, the biblical stance, and that he loves people in that community. But Scripture is clear when it comes to that subject as well, that that is sin. There's other sins as well when it comes to sexuality that we could talk about, of living with your boyfriend and girlfriend. Like, I mean, the Bible speaks of that. Uh, I mean, to all of the sin. And Jesus doesn't cast people away. He wants to save you. He wants to change your life. And that's the stance that Tony Dungy takes. It's the biblical stance. In fact, when you read 1 Corinthians, you read of people in the church in Corinth that were changed by a relationship with Jesus. It's in there. Check it out. Such were some of you, but now you're washed, and now you're made righteous. How? Through the cross of Jesus. He makes us righteous. If you once were a thief, be a thief no more. If you once were an adulterer, don't be an adulterer anymore. If you once were coveting, don't covet anymore. If you once were homosexual, you don't have to be a homosexual anymore. If you once were, you know, doing this, that, I mean, read it. Scripture is clear. Stop trying to explain away Scripture. I mean, God has given us His truth. And there's a kingdom, there's a life, there's a plan that He has for all of us, for anyone who will surrender and give it all to Him. And you might say, but I don't know if I like some of that teaching. Listen, there may be some things you don't like in Scripture, but you're not the authority. God is. He's the authority. I'm not. You're not. He's the authority. And he's given us his word to lead us, to guide us, and show us the best way to live. So, man, stop tiptoeing around the hard stuff. Stop tiptoeing around the truth. And as Christians, we give the truth and we give it in love because we care. And the gospel matters. And two, there are so many... People who claim to love Jesus, but then really don't want to surrender the rest of their lives. And my friend, there's only two people who know if you're truly saved. You and God. The Bible says you'll know them by their fruits. So you get an indicator. But man, if your life is only focused on you and what you want. And there's never a consideration of what God wants and surrendering to Him and loving the people that He bled and died for. You might want to take a step back and go, am I really saved? Am I really a Christian? Because, listen, we are not Christians just because we were born in the South. We're not Christians because we were born in America. We're not Christian just because our parents are Christians or our uncle was a pastor or our grandfather was a pastor. That's not enough. You get in by the grace of God, by humbling yourself, repenting of your sins and giving your life to Christ and saying, God, here I am. Here is all of me. Are you completely surrendered to the things of God? Are you completely surrendered to being under the authority of God's word? Some people want to hear more from God. They want to hear from God. They're like, God, can you shoot me an email? Tell me what to do. God, can you just whisper in my ear a little bit? And one concern I have about Christianity in today's churches 
it's probably another message within of itself. And some of it's a, a lack of understanding and correct teaching on the Holy Spirit. But there's so much mysticism in Christianity today. Of God, whisper to me. Of God, just shoot me an email. And God's like, man, I've already shot you and given you a whole book. I mean, how thick of a book do you want God to give you? He's given us his word to help us. And as we read it, the Holy Spirit, and it's called illumination, helps us understand the word. Helps The Holy Spirit helps us apply the word to our life to show us how we should live and what we should do. And we see here in Romans 12, 1, that the reasonable thing for us to do is to surrender, to give it all to him. So what do these common these stories have in common, this case study of John and the words of Jesus? Let me first off start off by telling you that the 22 golden coins were in fact authentic. And John the engineer became extremely, extremely wealthy. Do any of us feel sorry for John? No. Do any of us wish we were John? Yes. Yes. And he was smart and he was courageous and he pulled the trigger because he saw the value. And in this life, you get one. And unless Jesus tarries, there is a death date. And what you do in this life in which God has given you will determine on how he rewards you. Jesus' case study teaches us this. Total commitment is the channel through which God's best and biggest blessings flow. And many times other people will try to do it some other way. Maybe there's some backdoor way. No, no, no. Total commitment, total surrender is a channel through which God's best and biggest blessings flow. If you really want to live, if you really want to experience all that God has for you, say, God, here I am. I'm completely surrendered. I'm completely committed. God, I'm giving you everything today. See, total commitment says this. When I come to realize what God has done for me, who he is, and what he has prepared for me in this new life that I cannot see, I eagerly abandon anything and everything to obtain this fabulous, rewarding, eternal life that he is offering. It's not a matter of renunciation, but it's, a, it's one of reevaluating. So often the word surrender is associated with what we have to give up instead of what we get. I know as a young believer, when I would hear the word surrender and total commitment, it would bring up only the concepts of sacrifice, concepts of just missing out and losing on what mattered most to me. And I'm convinced that most Christians stall out in the faith when the call of total commitment is received or viewed as something that's too high or too hard for them to do. What it really is, is reevaluating your priorities and seeing that God is calling everyone. He's just not looking to have the preachers completely committed or the deacons or those who teach the Bible in our connection group classes to be the only ones completely surrendered to the Lord. It should be every single one of us completely 
bought in. You see, total commitment is the alignment of one's motives, resources, priorities, and goal to fulfill a specific mission, accomplish a specific task, or follow a specific person. And that specific person is none other than Christ, who went to the cross, who took our place on the cross, that took our punishment, that took our shame. And so God's asking you, Will you align? Will you align your will? Will you align your mind? Will you align your priorities, your possessions, your relationship, everything to the Lord? And so in Romans 12, God commands us to offer our bodies, ourselves, as a living sacrifice. He tells us this is the most reasonable thing we we could do to commit Completely to him. So, here's a third question. Do you believe God has your best in mind? You see, the problem with being a living sacrifice is that we, we keep trying to crawl off the altar. We, we keep crawling off. We, we're stubborn. We go, well, I'm, I'm just waiting here, or I'm, God, I'm not sure this is what I really want to do, and we're not seeing all that he has. But I want you to know, and some of you feel it, some of you, the Holy Spirit is dealing with you. The Holy Spirit is wooing you. He's dealing with you. Maybe you've made a mess on your own, and you're trying to get things straightened out. God will help you. He will help you, but he won't make you. I heard a pastor say once that oftentimes people don't start following Christ because they see the light. It's oftentimes because they feel the heat. I found that to be true. Christian, he loves you. And God loves you enough. He loves you enough to turn up the heat. So let me ask this fourth question. We're going to wrap this up. Are you in or are you all in? Some of you are in, but not all are in. Regardless of what you've ever thought, what God is looking for and wants most from you is all of you. Is all of you. I'd like to, for you to picture just for a moment a blank check. A blank check with your name written down on the bottom. This blank check isn't really about money, it's about your life. They're willing to take this blank check of your life, signed by you, for you to slide it underneath the door and go, Jesus, I'm giving it all to you. I'm giving you my life. I'm surrendering it all. I'm no longer trying to fight what your Holy Spirit wants to do. Lord, I want to commit all that I am and all that I have to you forever. From this very day forward. And you may be thinking, I'm afraid. I can't do that right now. Why is it so important that I surrender my life to Christ? Can't I just be a Christian on my own terms? And the answer is no. You can't be authentic Christ follower on your own terms for two reasons. One, because God wants what is best for you. 
Surrender is the only channel through which God's best and biggest blessings flow. He loves you, he is for you, and he wants the best for you. The second reason is this. Your life either brings glory or disgrace to the name of Christ. And when we accept Christ and yet fail to follow him and obey his commands, we misrepresent him before the world. And when we misrepresent him before the world, The world points. Because why would I want to follow Christ when that person I know is doing that? And the seed of hypocrisy is planted in our hearts when we think that God really doesn't have our best in mind. And it grows and the world sees it. There's too much at stake. We are called to boldly share the gospel. To boldly bring other people to Christ. To surrender and lay down our life. God expects all of us. Psalms eighty four eleven says, For the Lord is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Let's all stand, if we would, at this time. As we, as we are in an attitude of prayer, as the music's playing, I want us to take this moment in time to reflect, to think, and to pray. Have you surrendered all? Are you completely committed? You realize that just being in a Christian in name only is not cutting it. He wants all of you. And he wants you to experience his blessings. But living a life half in is not going to get it done. You're not going to experience it just being half in. He wants all of you. Maybe you're here, you're watching. And you don't know Christ as your Savior. You're uncertain that if you were to die today, whether you would go to heaven or not. And you would like to give your life to Christ. And you might be thinking, I don't know if I know enough. That's okay. None of us start off knowing all we need to know. What should you do is what you need to do. You can pray, repent of your sins, ask Christ to save you. He will forgive. He will save. And you might be thinking, but I'm not sure if I'm really good enough. I'm not sure if I'm clean enough. You're not because none of us are. And he desires us to come to him. If that's you, will you pray with me? Pray, dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I'm putting my faith and belief and trust in you today. Jesus, save me. You prayed and received Christ this morning. 
I'd love to talk to you after the service. So Pastor Lucas, I know Christ as my Savior, but I realize I've not surrendered all. I'm living my life my own way on my own terms, and I realize God is not pleased with this. It's time for me to make things right. Pastor Lucas, pray that I will have the courage and determination to follow the Lord. Will you raise your hand and show it to God? Show it to Him. I see that hand. Amen. As the music playing, I just want to give us a moment. Do you need someone to pray with you? Why don't you come on down? I have a deacon on my left, a deacon on my right. Brother Kip's right here. Brother Frank, if you'll pray with her, if you would, Miss Kathy. Father, we thank you for your love for us. I pray that this week we'll surrender all. To you, we owe. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.